everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right, today's topic is titled The Coverage of India in the West. And to talk about that coverage of India in the West, is uh, I have with me Atul Singh. Atul is the founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of fairobserver.com. Atulji, thanks for coming. Thank you very much. Namaskar, Kushal Mehra. Kushal Mangal. Atulji, this is your first time on the podcast. So I'll request you, let's begin like this. I will request you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the Fair Observer too. Wonderful, wonderful. So uh, I, I will speak primarily in, 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 um, in, uh, in English, but if I do uh, use Hindi, please forgive me because I rarely speak Neer. Hindi in Washington. हमारी so anyway, so so और वैसे भी मैं गंगा किनारे वाला हूँ हूँ हैं तो हम लोग काशी के निवासी मूल निवासी हालांकि पिताजी मेरे फौज में थे तो anyway more about me and myself so as you can guess I you know I am uh, your stereotypical UP वाला uh, my ancestral village uh, is not far from Sarnath which is why philosophically I I still am Buddhist um, I I grew up around the country I grew up um, I grew up um, all over. I was born in Vasco da Gama, Goa, s- spent time in Sikkim, Buddhist, Assam. So a lot of the so-called fringes of India, those were my, my formative years. And I could very easily have turned into an anglicized kid who spoke just English, as a lot of people uh, who are children of officers do, whether they are army officers or especially if they are IAS or IPS officers or foreign service officers in particular but luckily my mother kept us grounded and uh, and um, for all the traveling every two three years I got a very very good education so my father in his wisdom gave me four children's history books British and Indian Soviet and American that was genius I, I still owe a great deal to him for my for this extraordinary foresight my mother, of course, uh, gave us a very good grounding in language and literature. The way I speak is thanks to my mother. And of course, my father. My father introduced us to debating and my brother and I both went on to debate for Oxford, but I'm jumping the story. Now, that's the good side. The bad side is I didn't do well in the Indian education system. I liked reading books. The Indian education system rewarded exams. Um, I always struggled. I never got good marks. So those of you who have children who are not doing well, maybe they'll turn out okay. Don't worry. Don't beat them too much. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> It'll all be all right. If someone like me, if I'm a girl, if I'm a girl, if I'm a girl, if I'm a girl, then I'm a girl. So I was terrible. At 17, I ran away from home. I Believe it or not, I went to Prayagraj. Uh, I went to in those days called Allahabad, of course. And I landed in Allahabad and I went to Sangam and the boatman basically cheated me of all the little money I had. So by the end of the evening, he had taken, I believe, 300 rupees or something. It's for something that should have cost 10 or 20. So here I was, penniless, young kid, um, uh, coming from Kolkata, because that is what where my father was posted. 
knowing nothing about UP, cheated of the money, the cheese tins I had, which I thought, oh, the army had, you know, I'd been reading a lot of military history. So uh, because, of course, my father was in the army and I'm a Rajput. So I was fascinated by military and I was fascinated and rather deeply ashamed of the fact that we'd lost all the battles. How could we lose? So here I am. I've read all I have my backpack. I, you know, as a 17 year old, I have my provisions. I think, you know, I, I'm ready for a campaign. I'm, I'm a latter day Kim. And Guess what happens? The two tins of Amul cheese went uh, had fungus because you need refrigeration in India. It's too bloody hot and you're sweating too. So some of that, so, so no money, no food, middle of nowhere. And as luck would have it, I ended up um, meeting some police chaps near Naini jail and they took me in and I was staying in police jockeys. And then I, so I have a lot of respect for people in uniform, both army and police. And, and so then I walked across much of UP. And that's a long story. I won't get into it. Then I came to Lucknow University, did English literature and history. And uh, I mean, there was very little studying and a lot more other things going on in those days. And, um, and um, from Lucknow, you know, I started reform organizations, yada, yada, debated, played a lot of sport. I love sport. Uh, in an ideal world, I would, I would edit less at Fair Observer and, 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 and do a lot more mountaineering and play a lot of sport, you know. Uh, but anyway, so my mother said, what are you going to do? Get a job. We've lost all our land. We lost all our battles. There's no land for you. There are no horses and elephants uh, for you to inherit. And you will be by the road cleaning the gutter if you don't study. So she kept hammering things in. My father, of course, was, was what will you do? And I wrote, as in those days you did in UP, the civil services exam. I came 105th in the country. And uh, that year, 1998, um, they admitted, I don't know, God knows, I don't remember, 50-odd people or 60, I don't even know, 70 maybe at most, um, uh, in the batch. And uh, and suddenly when I arrived at the academy, I was surrounded by IITians. Uh, Pankaj Thakur, who's now in the Intelligence Bureau, was there. And um, KP Krishna Prakash, who's the superstar in Bombay, uh, the IPS guy, he was my batch. No, 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 I, I jumped. I went first to LBSNA. IS Academy for the foundation course. And there I met the great Sanjeev Chopra, whom you must interview, Kushal, who's uh, uh, just written a book on the formation of states in India. So I met uh, Sanjeev Chopra. He was my instructor. Um, I'm still in touch with him. He retired as the head of uh, uh, the Lal Bahadur Shastri National Academy of Administration. Anyway, so I, I go from uh, LBSNA, then I go to NPA. And NPA, I loved the outdoors, hated the hierarchy. The training was pretty crap. Um, outdated, ridiculous, actually. Uh, the outdoors stuff was magical. I, I swam a lot. Um, I, I, I did rock climbing. Um, and I ended up uh, winning quite a few medals. I think I won all eight individual goals in swimming. I also won the high jump, long jump, triple jump. I think ultimately I ended up with 15, a uh, uh, total of 15 gold medals. I may be wrong, but that's what I think. I I was fit in those days. I wasn't a cabbage as I am today. And, and then I went off to Nagaland. And after that, I did mountaineering courses. Of course, I did counterinsurgency, went native, ate dog and bear and silkworm and you name it. It was a magical time of my life. Um, and I volunteered and do it, did two attachments in Kashmir. And I went to all the posts. I remember I was the only one uh, from the group of IPS officers who went to all the high posts and I loved it. I loved every moment of being out and about in the mountains, seeing 
the very edges of India um, and beyond. Actually, I did cross the borders. Uh, Mm, I, uh, you know, I, I, you know, twenty years down the line, I can admit they weren't exactly legal crossings. Uh, but anyway, we we leave it at that. Uh, and then I thought, my hang on a minute, I am implementing the 1860 Indian Penal Code drafted by Lord Thomas Babington Macaulay. Whenever I have to read about any tribe, I'm going back to British records. And I thought, what have our officers been doing since 1947? And the people I was serving I had no respect for them. There was an IS officer who suggested that I take money. He was technically my boss. I mean, it was just ridiculous. He was the district magistrate or district collector. I said, I have no budget. He said, well, you have a chungi here. Jugal karo. And I thought, hang on a minute. What do you mean? I really, you know, my family has been a family of rebels. So, you know, deep in my DNA, I don't do well with hierarchy and authority and, and the typical you know, Indian top-down approach. And I said, I really said, Sir, Turkon ke saamne nahi jhuke. Mughalon ke saamne nahi jhuke. Angrezon ke saamne nahi jhuke. Aap hain kaun? He didn't like it, of course. Clearly, my days in the service were numbered because I didn't get along with uh, with my bosses. And I thought, man, you know, my God, I mean, some of these chaps weigh only two tons. How can they even tell the soldier to go on a long-range patrol? That's a problem that has worsened. I mean, some of the IPS officers now weigh three tons. So, you know, I thought the system was broken. Here we are in, you know, after independence, implementing a law drafted by Macaulay, continuing with the colonial system. And I thought, hang on a minute. If I'm implementing a system drafted by the Brits, then I should go and learn from the Brits as to how to create systems, run societies. And I, and I applied for philosophy, politics, and economics, I wrote two essays, one on the intellectual roots of the French Revolution, one on Nagaland, the Naga imbroglio. They gave me, they admitted me, and and not only did they admit me, they also gave me the top scholarship from the country. And here I was, a British evening, rather Christian scholar at Oxford. And there, of course, I flowered because they're my argumentative self. Uh, uh, The fact I like debating in outdoors and all these Stephanians who were there didn't go native the way I did. Uh, and, and of course, I couldn't hang out with all the Delhi Stephanians. They were all children of bureaucrats. And I hated the bureaucracy by then. And we had nothing in common culturally. They were coconuts, I like to call them. So they were all these uh, uh, coconuts, brown outside and white inside. So I ended up making friends with the Bavarians, with the Danes, with the... I would go running in the morning with Matthias Waugh, my very dear friend, who's a Danish diplomat. I would... I spent time with Nico Lesky, uh, who's from Munich. Uh, so I made a whole bunch of friends. I debated for the Oxford Union. I was uh, the treasurer of the European Affairs Society. Of course, the truth be told, I joined the European Affairs Society because there were so many beautiful European women there. Uh, no, I have an interest in Europe too. Uh, but the point is that I uh, I had a great time there. And then I went to the city, did law, um, City of London, uh, worked at Freshfields Brookhouse, Deringer as a corporate lawyer, too hierarchical, didn't enjoy it, didn't realize, didn't sort of uh, find making rich people richer particularly meaningful. And I could see the economic system. Just as I had seen the flaws of socialism in India, I saw the flaws of finance capitalism in the city of London. In fact, I wrote a big article uh, predicting the 2007-2008 crisis. And and I did a brief stint at Goldman Sachs. and, And I thought, look, let me go to America. By that time, I'd driven across 
uh, bits and bobs of America, particularly the West Coast. I had fallen in love with that huge landscapes. I, I'm an outdoorsy chap. And so I applied to Wharton, did my MBA, did a, did a triple major in entrepreneurship, finance and strategy, came out, set up Fair Observer. And, uh, and uh, that's another story how I set it up. But that's in brief my life's journey. It's, it's a circuitous one. I, I uh, I, I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't get into IIT. I didn't get it in, get into St. Stephen's. I, I had no idea if you had asked me when I'd gotten into the IPS, uh, what would I do? I thought I'd be the first IPS officer to climb Mount Everest, and I would have been. But instead, my instructor, Atul Karwal, uh, you know, became the first officer. He's, he's very fit. He's very, very outdoorsy as well. Um, but he stayed in the IPS, and he carried on the outdoorsy path. And I think I, I started overcompensating for my Rajput roots. Uh, we are not terribly intellectual, and I went off to Oxford and took the academic route. So my outdoor ambitions fell away. But Silavi, what well, do you do? Well, we, we are going to talk about your indoor work, which is Fair Observer. <laughs> so, so tell me why, why, why use the name Fair Observer? Why, because it's very interesting, and I'll explain why, where I come <laughs> from. So we are talking about coverage of India in the West, right? Yes. And if you remember, our WhatsApp also had a discussion when I asked you, I had asked you the specific question, ki, why did you call this portal that you started, the yeah. Fair Observer? So my first question to you was, why is it important to be fair? Okay, very simple. Um, you can either preach to the choir you can go and give a sermon and everyone listens. Or if you want to convince someone, generally people are going to listen to you if you are fact-based and well-reasoned. I mean, you go back to, Bud to Gautam Buddha, all right? Uh, Shraddha, what is that? That's a combination of both uh, uh, reason and intuition, the original meaning. And so the idea was that there is enough of polarization. There's enough of echo chambers. There are plenty of people in Turkey who are deeply interested in Upanishadic philosophy. Okay, it's not a huge percentage, but they are curious. Why? Because um, they think hmm, it offers something different and new and thoughtful. There are plenty of people in Japan who are very curious about how Indians can function in chaos. There are plenty of Indians who are interested to learn about Brazil, but not through the eyes of the economists. They want to hear what Brazilians have to say. Similarly, there are plenty of Brazilians who want to hear what Greeks have to say about their economic crisis. There are Greeks who want to know about Kenya, but they don't want the foreign correspondent of the New York Times who sits in the posh uh, cafe in the expat neighborhood wax lyrical. So, for us to be fair was we believe that this that this that this instinct for fairness is human and it is a noble instinct we have lots of baser instincts there are times we want to throttle people and then you know jump on their dead bodies after all bhim not just killed dushasan he also pulled his heart out and drank his blood ah, there was a reason for it Maybe he deserved it, probably did deserve it. But, but the point is, that's not our noblest instinct. There is a higher no instinct as well. And so uh, the whole idea was that fairness is important, fairness is lost. And therefore, if we created Fair Observer, there'd be a global community of people who believe in fact and reason and engagement with each other. Fasa fas, 
or virtually like the way we are and we 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 will agree on some things we'll disagree on something but hey ho there you go it's all okay we learn something from each other that was the premise and the name fair observer is is doesn't there's no credit to me i'd come up with something called gyan gnosis and my friend said it sounds like gynecology you moron uh, <laughs> and, 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 and what is this pretentious oxford you know uh, terminology and his name is vivek agrawal and, and I, owe, I owe a great deal to a lot of friends in this journey and he he was an entrepreneur in silicon valley one of those iitians so not all iitians are fools yeah uh, and it was 3 a.m in washington and I, I was looking around for names because all the good names were taken and I came across Fair Observer. I don't even, I can't even claim credit for the name. Yeah, and uh, 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 it's like my second, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, I survived a few close shaves, uh, an assassination attempt or two. And my, the second time I escaped it, I can't claim credit because I was asleep. So sometimes you can't claim credit. So here I am, I say I'm half asleep. I say, I look at Fair Observer. He say, I, I'm on Google chat. I say, what about Fair Observer? I had been pinging him for names for days on end. And he says, buy it. And then in a second or two, he writes, buy it now, you, you idiot. And so the long story short is that uh, the name resonated instinctively. And it was validated by Vivek. And with, thanks to Vivek, I bought it, um, I think it was 2010, the domain name then created the company or the non the nonprofit came later and then the journey began but uh, you need good friends uh, they, they, who save you from bad decisions well the, uh, that i agree on now here's <laughs> the thing when it comes to western coverage uh, of india uh, so or any the... country or any country ask the kenyans yeah, yeah. to be very honest, yeah, yes, obviously. Uh, but yeah. uh, obviously, we'll be we'll, yeah. we, we focus on uh, no, no, absolutely. On we'll India because on India. I, I've yeah. done my homework. I have lots of things to show our audience. Yes, yes, yes. That's the good <laughs> I point. I do homework. I work yes. hard. I may not be that smart as you, but I work hard. So, ye naam aate hain. New York Times aagya, Washington Post aagya, Wall Street Journal aagya, Atlantic aagya, aapka Economist aagya. Absolutely. Um, mainstream media mein aapka CNN aagya, yeah. Fox News aagya, ya aapka MSNBC aagya. Jo bhi, you have your... Um, uh, Take your pick. Yeah, you just have. But what uh, the irony of it all is, like, if you look at a coverage of American news and American mm. policy on all these portals, you will mm -hmm. see a diversity of viewpoints. Absolutely. You will see some people taking X, some people taking Y point of view. But when it comes to their vision of the, uh, to use the word with a little bit of responsibility, is the Orient. When they look at the Orient, all these portals, doesn't matter which side of the political aisle they might be domestically, they all have one view. They all look at it in a standard way and what we are trying to do today through this podcast and i'm actually very grateful for the way atul uh, you know g is going to be presenting it is he's going to show you examples so having explained why we are doing this now i hand it over to you Ab aap okay so thank you kushal thank you by the way kushal it's a real honor to be here because so many of my friends speak so highly of you i've listened to many of your podcasts and so many of your my relatives have said have said why aren't you interviewing on the Kushal Mehra show? And I said, I don't know him. Why would he invite me? Because, you know, I don't have a huge audience. Uh, and there we are. Uh, you know, finally, my relatives will be satisfied if no one else. Uh, exactly. exactly. 
so uh, let's crack on. Let's crack on. Let's, as with everything, you have to look at history. So Kushal, who were the people who were trained in English? Who were, who were the people who were first trained in English in India? Well, obviously, the ones who were in the Indian bureaucracy were getting and jumping on those jobs, right? Uh, the so elites horrified, of, horrified India. The of India, not even the bureaucracy. A few of them made it to the bureaucracy. Remember the, the, the great minute, Macaulay's minute, 1853. I have it. You know, I always, I, I always, uh, you know, have it printed out. To, I, I can get it. That's okay. Behind me, but uh, I remember the minutes. Yeah, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. So. The English-speaking elite of India is very coconutty. And the English-speaking elite of India, you know, as Mark Tully said, you know, he doesn't want to live in imitation America because, you know, India is getting very Americanized. He wants to live in, he wants Asli Bharat, not Nakli America. Great line. He, he's a man of the left, Labour Party, even a Corbynite. I mean, he supported Jeremy Corbyn, but to be fair, uh, uh, you know, he's a man of great integrity. I greatly respect him. And he's a very nuanced man. He's not black and white, unlike many others. Now, and I disagree with him. And we constantly disagree with each other. But he still meets me if I'm in Delhi. Not one of the Delhi jet set meet me because obviously I don't speak English good enough. Say about it. So, yeah, exactly. I don't speak any language well, and I have limited intelligence and even lesser ability. So why would anyone want to meet me? But going back to a very important, historically, before 1947, yes, there were a lot of people who spoke very good English and who uh, were against the British, but culturally, most of the Indians who spoke English were colonized culturally by the British. The idea of Antonio Gramsci, a great Marxist scholar um, of cultural hegemony. And, mm -hmm. and, and I know some people will be horrified, especially if they're American. Oh, Marxist scholars are all evil and they have red horns. No, good ideas come from all, all, all schools and all different philosophies. And Antonio Gramsci asked himself, how come I'm in jail if I'm if what I'm saying is right, and how mm -hmm. come Mussolini is in charge? And he came up with this idea of cultural hegemony that people internalize. I'm, I'm being very simplistic because no, no, I get it. Is, people internalize their inferiority. And so that elite after independence, 47, something worse happened. Nehru created a socialist state. Okay, and now at least under Lenin and Stalin, the five-year plan was drafted by engineers. But Nehru, of course, decided that ICS officers should make, should draft those five-year plans, even though they had no domain expertise in economics. Because the reins of the state, yes, initially it was Mahalo Nobis, but eventually all power ended up with the heaven-born Indian civil service, which then which is today's Indian administrative service. And of course, it's younger brother, Indian police service. So Duryodhan and Dushasan got all the power. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would head things like archaeological survey of India, yada, yada, or, but that's not 
the only thing. With that centralized model came a bifurcated state. The anglicized elite basically lived of the mammaries of the welfare state. They got the nice apartments in Chanakipuri. They got the Lalbatti ki gari, the red light car. They uh, and their junior partners, let's say the JNU professors, which came under Indira Gandhi, got all the benefits. The people, the common people, didn't even get proper schooling. And India created linguistic apartheid. And the anglicized elite was a colonial and be left leaning. And because they were good at the English language, they were the ones who studied literature and history and politics and philosophy at posh places like Oxford, like Harvard. When I arrived at Oxford, most people there were Tam Brahms and Bengali Brahms or Bengali Kais. Most of the scholars just do a caste analysis of the rather of the scholars who've gone, Rhodes and Radhakrishnan. They were all Stephanians. In fact, the office of the Rhodes was in St. Stephen's College. I don't know if that's changed. And it was a open, an open secret that if you were not a Stephanian, you were very unlikely to get it. And so they had the anglicized elite of India has lived first of the patronage of the British and then of the patronage of the Nehru family. So, they're, you know, red-collared dogs in a way. Not dogs as in, I don't mean it in a pejorative way. I mean, I'm just trying to give you the, 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 the metaphor because they have to wag their tail to those who throw them a bone. That is the way things function around the world. I mean, America is no different. Fox is going to go one way because Murdoch owns it. MSNBC is going to go one way because someone else owns it, right? You know, the Guardian is going to be left-leaning. And of course, the Times owned by the Murdoch will be right-leaning. So uh, in India, there was no counterweight to this anglicized elite, which wields disproportionate power till this day. Because in India, you're a big man if you speak English. It's a cultural problem that goes right down. Even when you are in a slum, you want to send their children to a private English medium school. English is the ticket to upward mobility and economic progress. So, so you're, you're talking about English being an aspirational language. Yes. And so at the top, but then most middle class people, what do they do? The kid has to study engineering, medicine, accounting, MBA, get a job. Who has the um, material wealth to do something more more fluffy. It is all the children of the bureaucratic elite or the old uh, or the Nehruvian elite. And so let us look at uh, uh, who commands, uh, who is sitting in Washington Post, Ishan Tharoor, son of Shashi Tharoor. Classic coconut rights on India. So if you start looking, digging, who is at uh, Hudson Institute, the supposedly right-leaning institute, Aparna Pandey, Pavlovian anti-Modi Congress supporter. Why? Because daddy was probably in the IAS. Daddy got good postings. Look at Ro Khanna. Ro Khanna's grandfather was a Congress politician. Look at the vice president, Kamala Harris. Her grandfather was a Nehruvian loyalist who served all around Africa. So if you look at everyone in politics and everyone in media shaping the discourse, not everyone, most people, the dominant discourse 
is coming from a certain elite, the Macaulay slash socialist elite. They define it. They define the view of India. And even the right falls prey to that, not just the left. As you said, that uh, Ben Shapiro reads... Uh, Nah. Ramachandra Guha. Ramachandra Guha. You remember so, I told you that when yeah, we met I didn't in Washington. know that. That's, I didn't know that. I learned something new. I don't follow Ben Shapiro. So, you know, he's all right. I mean, but, uh, you know, I, I have too much to do and too little time. I can't follow everyone. Uh, and I'm not, uh, I, you know, I'm not a man either of the, of the left or the right. I like good thinkers. I like Antonio Gramsci enormously. I even like Karl Marx, even though I disagree with him. I think his diagnosis of the ills of capitalism are brilliant, but his suggestions are just ballooning. But I mean, it's just romantic. He's a German romantic. Uh, and, and they're very Judeo-Christian, you know. Innocence, everyone is in a tribe. Everyone is uh, happy, clappy, singing Kumbaya. Uh, you have um, free love and multiple orgasms. And then, of course, you get uh, private property and, and then you get uh, capitalism and it's very productive. But it has internal contradictions. Uh, the, 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 you need higher and higher returns. So you need to fire more and more labor. You need to automate. And then there's a supply side problem. That is not incorrect. Marx wasn't incorrect in his diagnosis. And the solution is the abolition of private property, abolition of the state, and all the workers in Soviets will sing Kumbaya, and there'll be free love and multiple orgasms again. But it's very simple. It's, it's, it's you know, Garden of Eden, fall of man and heaven. The template is straight from the Bible. Yeah. But it's very Judeo-Christian. So the, the Marx problem was he gave a very bad solution to a very good observation. I mean, he is a genius. So going back is it's not that I have an ideological problem. In fact, I always say that none of these chaps are truly left-leaning. They are what we call champagne socialists or what the French call la gauche caviar. I mean, look at the wedding photos of Ishan Tharoor. They are over the top. Where did all the family money come from? Don't tell me that Shashi Tharoor is honest. Give me a break. His wife dies in mysterious circumstances and the body's burnt very quickly. Give me a break. So the point is that the, this discourse was shaped by people patronized by, by first the British and then the Nehru family. And to be fair, Jawaharlal Nehru was a great intellectual. But over time, they became progressively less intellectual. And Rahul Gandhi is a case in point. And so what you get is a whole bunch of people who, who uh, sing from the same hymn sheet. And so you get a very toxic discourse on India from Indians. And of course, the, the foreigners, of course, uh, in these traditional publications are prisoners of their own history. Now, let's look at The Economist, all right? Began in 1843. Now, let me ask you, You've read John Stuart Mill on liberty. You're, you're a man of great erudition. Um, where did John Stuart Mill work? Where did he begin his career? No, that I don't remember. I just read what he wrote on, on liberty. I don't okay. care where he came from. So that is the difference, Kushal, between you and me. I'm only always looking at context. And yeah, always, always looking look at... at yeah, uh, so difference between a, a historian by training. Of course, I've studied philosophy, but I always... Uh, I always want to know what did the streets smell like, what was happening uh, on Sunday, uh, you know, over coffee or a drink. Well, John Stuart Mill worked in the British East India Company. Oh, yeah, I've forgotten that. Yeah. Mm. 
John Stuart Mill was in favor of votes for women. He was a man far ahead of his time. On Liberty is mm -hmm. a work of pure genius in many ways. Yeah. But he felt that Indians could not be Yes, I was America. just going to say that. I was just going to say that. Sala, uske India ke views the. <laughs> but hold fine. Now, why was he saying? And said, they, you know, until they are in the maturity of their faculties. Because of they're course, not they're like ready little, for it. They're yeah, not they're ready children. for it. They're like little, these brownie fuzzy fuzzies. You can't really trust them. Come on, you know, these brownie fuzzy fuzzies. Uh, dressed like Mowgli in a loincloth. Yeah. Even Marx, by the way. Marx had some pretty nasty remarks on yeah, India. I, I have his two editorials on India lying right here. I, 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 I wish I had everything set up to show, but uh, next time, okay, next time we can do the Marx uh, editorials and, and Mill's ideas on India. Uh, but the more important thing uh, is here is that was Mill just doing it because of philosophical reasons? No. He needed the British East India Company salary. No one goes generally against their economic self-interest. People like their bread to be buttered. All right. So uh, these uh, publication, this publication from 1843 to 1947 opposed India's independence. Why? Because Britain was making good money out of India. Why will you, why will you divest your colony, boss? Right? You're a young lad on the make. You come to India. At home, you're a nobody. You come to India, you become Lord Octolini. You saunter around Delhi on your elephant and your 13 wives, each on her separate elephant. Life is good, isn't it, Kushal? I mean, why did the Mughals come here? Why couldn't didn't they stay in, in Samarkand, Bukhara, Fargana Valley, modern-day Uzbekistan? Well, part of the reason was in, they would have to fight all the time. You come here as Babar writes in Babar Nama, the soil is fertile, the, Land is plentiful. There are lots of trades and crafts, much bigger revenue base. And of course, uh, uh, you can always have a big harem too. I mean, the emperor's lifestyle was phenomenal. So, you know, uh, obviously, uh, they were going to choose the more comfortable option. And so the economist, by its DNA, is a colonial publication. It's a wonderful publication just as John Stuart Mill is a wonderful philosopher. But, and I love The Economist, but look at this. First, Modi is in an auto. Second, will he blow it? Will Modi blow it? India's moment. There's always that pulling India down element in The Economist that we are still children. We don't know what is best for ourselves. We need to be put to bed at 6 p.m. We need to be given vegetables and we need to be saved from ourselves. Ideally, you know, in the past they wanted to convert us to Christianity. Now they want us to con uh, want us to convert to woke ideology. But it's yeah, the same it, thing. We have to convert. Savior complex. It, yeah, it, it's the ingrained savior in complex. the Western mind. Savior it's complex. And it's ingrained even more in the new converts. Hindi mm -hmm. It is even more ingrained in 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 the in the Aparna Pandes, the Barkhadats. Uh, the Tanmi Madans, and especially the Ishan Tharoors, uh, they want to save us because they've been converted to, to the sacred faith, which has given them the keys to the uh, to the kingdom, and they want to share it with the other, you know, feudal, uh, as you'd say, Samantwadi Rajputs like me, and 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 the other, the great unwashed who didn't get a proper English education. We need to be saved from ourselves. 
So this is very interesting. So what if if I was to simplify this for yeah. our listeners and viewers is that yeah. what you're trying to say is that there is an economic incentive behind yeah. this entire um, there uh, always India, is India uh, analysis of India. Yeah. So and the economic incentive is laid down because the money is only. So here is the Western media landscape or the yeah. American media landscape, which wants to feel good about itself by saying, "Dekho, ham inse to better hai." Let, no, let me put it. There's also no. There's also one. They feel better, but there's a deeper thing. If mm -hmm. they control and dominate you, you will want to listen to them. If they criticize you, and you, you get bothered by it, then you will mm -hmm. try to do things to please them, and they will be able to influence you, and they'll be able to get policies, measures, all the other things more yes. easily. Uh, than they would otherwise. It's part of the great geopolitical game. There's a talk uh, on YouTube uh, that I've given called The James Bond Business. Kushal, you should watch it and your readers will enjoy it. Uh, that looks at this phenomenon uh, at a deeper level. So they, and look, where is the New York Times second biggest market? India. Because India has a big population, a large English speaking elite, and a large number of people with an inferiority complex about their culture. Look, yeah, so many... name dropping may be a chow than I have subscribed to New York Times. Exactly. It's like a club uh, membership. Exactly. So I'll give you a simple example. Everyone talks about the caste system. And yes, the caste system was terrible. We lost numerous battles, as uh, many of guests have talked. Uh, Abhijit, uh, whom I met uh, this time, mentioned, you know, how the useless, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, ossified caste system, that division of labor meant that uh, we were only, it was only the Rajputs doing the fighting. And many of them were fat and bloody unfit. And they were, you know, they, they would have opium before they went out for the cavalry charge. So they'd all go out, cavalry charge, uh, you know, study the Battle of Kanua. Rana Sangha had 90,000 men and Babar had 10,000. But guess what? They were all high on opium. So once the initial charge, Babar was able to withstand it, boom, it was game on. These guys couldn't even think. Why weren't Brahmins fighting? After all, their temples were being sacked. Why weren't the traders fighting? After all, their wealth was being taken away. Why weren't the women also part of the resistance? After all, they were being raped. Nalanda was burnt. Muhammad bin Bakhtiyar Khilji apparently used manuscripts to light campfires for six months. We lost our history and identity. It took Major James Princip to decipher the Brahmi script. And that's why we have the Ashok Chakra and Yadi Yah on our national symbol. But the point is, um, we've had a terrible caste system. Sure, accept it. We've got to reform it. We'll reform it. But hang on a minute. What were, at the same period, were the Anglo-Saxons doing? California was offering bounties to killing Indians. You go to PBS. Public Broadcasting Service, I can send the link to the readers. Extermination was the word used. America, there are two stories of America. And the glamorous story is Tom Cruise, Top Gun, saving the world from evil, fighting the baddies. America, the land of immigrants. And that's true. You can come and make it. That's true. The poor, the great unwashed coming from Europe, the Irish found place in America, the Jews found place in America. All of that is true. But what is also true that America was built on ethnic cleansing, wiping out the Native Americans. That begins, begins as early as 1620. Now, my co-author is a wasp. He's a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Boston man, 
five of his forefather five of his forefathers ancestors were on the mayflower three men and two women he went to harvard played the high hockey broke a few jaws served lived in france and served in the company the cia we do a podcast called the dialectic uh, the dialectic by fair observer by the rashpoot and the wasp talk to him from 1620 right down to the last major battle which i think is 1896 i miss I'll, i'll have to look it so please those of you who if i get the date wrong please forgive me that's i'm getting old and i'm not on top form and i should know that date the indians the native americans were wiped out he i mean he you can talk to him about it you can interview him kushal he's he's written the book the interrogator when indians look at the west they never look at the underbelly especially the anglicized indians every society has its problems with violence and stratification every society has to solve it itself now when you have an inferiority complex you're easily manipulable and so you do things let's say you're a senior ias officer and the cia chap wants you to do something they want let's say you're super honest you won't do anything thank you thank you but guess what as a senior cia officer said even your honest officers have the dhritarashtra syndrome <laughs> clearly the bastard had read the mahabharat quite well mm-hmm. and by that he meant you know even your honest guys we can admit their kids to harvard and they they'll sing to our tune i mean i met uh, the daughter of a dgp uh, uh, of punjab did her undergrad at harvard and then went did did her mba at harvard she worked in some non profit in the interim didn't speak hindi had read the ramayana and thought of ram as this evil guy who banished his wife and upheld the caste system she was a classic example of someone who will be an asset for the state department the cia the the dominant western narrative and paradigm it's always a game of narratives just as in many ways and this will be very controversial for your listeners islam islam upholds arab cultural hegemony the quran is in arabic who knows what the quran is in nigeria or indonesia or india all right you've got to read it in arabic you've got to go to mecca so you're deferential no inevitably to to the arabs in india from 1192 when the turks rule to to actually long after 1858 the 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 you know change in record keeping from farsi to english was slow farsi was the official language of india that's why you have the proverbs hat kangan ko arsi kya padhe likhe ko farsi kya ye dekho kismat ka khel padhe farsi beche tel what are all these proverbs they show that farsi anyone who knows farsi is, is educated just as english is today yeah and guess what who has power those who are speakers of farsi so all the bright young lads uh, you know in iran come to make their career in hindustan and of course lasses too the taj mahal is built for a farsi woman so cultural hegemony has great economic benefits and and the west has it's complicated but just the fact that james bond movie does well or top gun does well in india gets money to hollywood just the fact that new york times gets uh, readers they can sell ads localized to india and if they get subscribers even better same for the guardian so i'm not saying that they are evil but what i'm saying is that they are a dominating culture they want to dominate 
and 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 by shining the light on ills in india whilst not doing the same in the same not doing it in a similar manner on their own societies helps them achieve that feeling of superiority and more importantly that indian or kenyan or nigerian or indonesian feeling of inferiority hmm. but then how the hell can this this uh, this particular psychological uh, state because it's a psychological issue i think uh, a bunch of people who feel a certain way and then it uh, and i'm actually glad that you have explained why things are the way are they are from a psychological perspective is because then we know why we behave the way we do yeah i mean exactly very important to know the why right why are pashtun boys so popular with indian girls all right mm -hmm. how many brahmin boys how many mishras chaturvedis let's say even the the chit pavan konkanast brahmin how many of them marry i mean of course there was one peshwa who had uh, mastani as a mistress and everyone was aghast but how many brahmin boys marry uh, pashtun girls or or muslim girls and they convert first of all their parents won't allow them let's face it you know i i told the senior senior leaders in the rss that you know why do you complain about love jihad why don't your boys marry girls from abroad there are plenty of girls who who are into yoga and indian philosophy it's your fault you don't marry them and bring them to the fold but you look at almost every every couple where the woman is from india hindu or culturally or 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 or, or religiously and once she marries a muslim boy the muslim the wedding will be muslim the children will be named muslim case in point saif ali khan patoudi is he really a pashtun no i mean look at sharuk and amir they are 2 feet tall i have pashtun friends they are real pashtuns tall hardy mountain men fighters I mean, these city pashtuns have hardly any pashtun blood but they all say pathan hu main it's like boss you know that's the cultural hegemony that comes any culture you know what i mean so in india we have many layers of that there's a very deep seated inferiority complex in india hmm and and i guess that reflects into who gets selected so the point is that even when it comes to let's say you don't suffer from this inferiority complex then hmm. you clearly are not going to get a job in any of these portals right or so, companies so how many times have you seen me on ndtv <laughs> how many signs are anybody is anybody seen on ndtv <laughs> exactly uh, is it that i don't know world history or is it that i haven't studied my philosophy or is it that uh, i may just potentially be not very well liked so that's the point right so basically there is gatekeeping and yeah. then there are job qualifications that yeah. are required right you have to do a certain line you have to speak in a certain way you have to think in a certain way yeah the, once you qualify this and in fact this is something that i have and no achievement no achievement can overcome that i've given a talk at google on the global rise of the far right in 2016 and yet a lot of my friends say why haven't you spoken in india what's the problem i said i don't know maybe i uh, you know maybe maybe i just don't have the brains or the looks i'm bald now maybe i look like a villain 
Well, Ajkal being bald is in, so maybe... Oh, good. I'm, I, 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 I'm glad at least there are some saving graces, Kushal. Yes. So, chalo, takla hone ka kuch to fayda ho gaya abhi. So, magar, ab, ab, magar, quick, specific mujhe prashnu poochna hai. Ek to hai media landscape, thik hai? Yeah. Ek hai, jaysay meri aur aapki Washington pe, is par bhi baut vistar mein charcha hoi thi, ye jo foreign policy landscape hai humara. ठीक you are in america you don't read any world history you just read american history are you worldly not really do you speak many languages not really yeah you know there are people uh, i i my my i think uh, one of my brother's class flows went uh, to colombia and he's a tamil guy and he teaches hindi and urdu and he makes he doesn't know either language particularly well but the americans don't know any better so the anglicized elite remember please the british bosses they know what to tell the gora sahab hmm. they can talk the woke language they can mirror what their masters want ipso facto what happens is that they play the game it's not that anyone is evil everyone is behaving very rationally and uh, and uh, there's a certain class that does this work and that class then establishes a monopoly because the first guy comes in and then someone else says oh you you are the leading expert on india who would you recommend so they develop their own feudal patronage modern version of feudal patronage and it's not just uh, uh, the think tanks you know look Lord, what has happened in media in america is that there's no money so diversity is gone the traditional media names have imploded in 1998 the pew research report found uh, one of the pew research reports in pew research sorry one of the reports of the pew research research center sorry about being inexact in my expression found that for every one job in journalism there were 1.9 jobs in public relations by 2018 mm-hmm. this figure had become 1 is to 6.4 today it is more like 1 is to 10 why because the two legs of journalism were cut off number one subscription cut off no one really after the internet came wanted to pay and even now people pay for the financial times it the paywall is a very new thing and number two advertising that went to google and facebook so guess what who funds media it's all very ideological who funds think tanks the atlantic is owned by steve jobs's widow mm. washington post is owned by jeff bezos New York Times is basically run Sulzberger. by the Salzberger family. Hmm. Let's go dynasty through all the five generation ki dynasty chala yeah. rahi hai usko. And let's look at a classic case in point. I want everyone to look at this. Can you see it or the sun is too Unfortunately, strong? Unfortunately, the sun is too strong. You have to take it okay. on your right. Okay, my right, okay? Here, yeah. can it, can people see it now? Yep. Hinduization okay. of India is nearly complete. Wo article okay. hai na? Yes, can you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so they'll know what the article is yeah by yasmin sarhan okay mm-hmm. now atlantic owned by steve jobs's widow good mm-hmm. very many idealistic people 
work there. In fact, uh, the chap who runs it, runs Emerson Collective, a Jewish chap in New York, is a very nice chap. I actually mm -hmm. like him a lot. I can't call him a friend, but I really like him. He wished me luck for Fair Observer. But then I read their India coverage, and some of their articles are phenomenal. I have some very good friends at the Atlantic. Um, but when I, then I read their India coverage, and I see who's the author's name. Yasmin Serhan. All right. Then I dig deeper. Where did she study? USC. You know, you know University of Southern California, the rich kid school. Okay. Where does she live? London. Has she ever lived in India? Her LinkedIn tells me no. Her profile is open on my laptop. Does she speak Urdu or Hindi? Maybe, but I, if I was to bet, not very well. If I read her article, what does she say? India's secular and inclusive ethos is already beyond repair. It's like, hang on a minute. You're running Charvak podcast. All right. Charvak was a materialist and an atheist. Can you run this in Bangladesh? Can you run this in Pakistan? Pakistan with a pakka mardalingi. Nay, Bangladesh is also bad. And can you run it under the Taliban red Afghanistan? What no. is she talking about? Then she says ethnic supremacism in check. We have a tribal woman president for the first time. What is the ethnic supremacism that she's talking about? The courts, the opposition parties, and independent media have been have have buckled. Look, I'm pretty independent. I've constantly criticized the IAS, the IPS, the IFS, the BJP, the Congress. I come to India. Am I scared of someone chopping me up? No. Even people within the BJP criticize Modi. Even people at the top echelons of the RSS do so. Many say, you know, it is a government run by the Indian administrative service with the outside support of the RSS. अरे हम हर थर्सडे को मैं अभिजीत और शाम शर्मा शो करते हैं जिसमें आधे मीम मोदी के ऊपर होते हैं राइट यू आर नॉट बीइंग बीटन अप योर बोन्स आर नॉट बीइंग ब्रोकन अप कैन आई गो टू सऊदी अरेबिया नो आई डेयर नॉट बिकॉज़ आई हैव क्रिटिसाइज्ड मोहम्मद बिन सलमान इन 2016 3rd जनवरी आई रोट एन आर्टिकल देयर समथिंग रॉटन इन सऊदी अरेबिया इन व्हिच आई टॉक अबाउट सेक्स ड्रग्स एंड रॉक एंड रॉक एंड रोल बिहाइंड द ऑफिशियल पार्टीज ऑफ द स्टेट I, I talk about how many people they execute. Yada yeah. I if I go there even as a foreigner, guess what? I'm not British. I won't have the 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 protection in the immunity. So who are the people she's quoting? She's quoting someone from the Indian American Muslim Council, Ajit Sahi. Okay, maybe he's right. Then he she says. That Hindu nationalist groups and BJP lawmakers claim that forced conversions are rampant in the country, but there is little evidence for this. She, she says she dismisses it one line. Hang on a minute. How did so many Indians convert? Was it all by peace and love? And let's assume it wasn't forced. There was a degree of influence. There was a degree of manipulation. I served in Nagaland. I just mentioned that it's an American Baptist state with prohibition. And guess what? What's the biggest industry? Bootlegging. Because the tribal culture, everyone drinks. Even the pastors drink. How did it become American Baptist? Was it all lovey-dovey? No. 
they are now training many local tribesmen to go on crusades, three-day crusades. Hmm. Is the idea of a crusade such a nice one? Ask, uh, ask the poor Muslims who have suffered. So, I mean, the point is that, well, I understand. And then she says, Shah Rukh Khan's son has been, you know, targeted and yada yada. And the point is that she doesn't have local knowledge, but she went to the top school. She's articulate. She went into the media. Perhaps her Muslim background affects her thinking. And she's done a hatchet job on India. And I, the challenge... I think in this case, what happened? Shah Rukh Khan was arrested. He saw Shah Rukh's picture and But the point is, this is normal. Who do you think is the international opinions editor at the New York Times? Tell me the name. International opinions editor. Naam or a, a key position. Basharat Peer. Basharat Peer. You said it Like, uh, I met someone. I, I, I met someone who's no longer in at a Bloomberg conference. Um, uh, his name will come to me in a second. He, he had to leave because he published a Republican. And he asked me to write something on Brexit. He put me in touch with Basharat. Basharat says, and by the way, I've written a book chapter on Brexit. I've written... Because I debated with a lot of people who are now in uh, politics. Um, I, I know Britain very well. I did British politics under Michael Hart, who also taught a chap called David Cameron before me. And so they said, oh, we have plenty of writers for Britain. You should write on India. But then he says there are plenty of writers on India. Maybe you should write for the Indian Express. He was patronizing. He was insulting. And he was downright dismissive. Ironically, his boss, who was a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, was welcoming and, yes, you know, your ideas on Britain are brilliant. You have such great insight. But this chap clearly will never publish me for religious or ideological reasons. He's a Kashmiri. Forget it. The gate is shut. Unless, you know, some American who is, you know, Jewish or, 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 Waspy or any ethnicity, doesn't matter, opens the door for me in a key position. So there are, these gates are all shut and the American ignorance leads to this. But this gatekeeping, mm -hmm. now, okay, then I'll just, because see someone in the live viewership has asked this question. So let's just jump into that because it's a perfect segue into what you've just mm -hmm. said. So someone has asked, uh, does Atulji think at some point the think tanks, news channels will be forced to call the Indian non-left? Because primarily whom they call is people from the Indian left or people who are loosely in India understood to be left-wingers. The answer India is who knows? Now there is division. Why will they be forced to? They are preaching to their choir. They have their church. MSNBC is washed by lefties. They don't care about anyone else. They've got to keep uh, the outrage engine going. It's it's the privilege of outrage. So they'll invite uh, they'll invite uh, elite Indians with good English who uh, lived off the pat their families lived off the patronage of the British and then and then the Nehru dynasty and the song and dance will go on. Why bother? Why are you so bothered about them? I I I, I don't expect to be invited by any think tank to speak on India in Washington ever. Okay, but 
so the next part of the question was there was a rationale behind it they say because maybe in the future they may not have any credibility or option left they already as... have no credibility brookings yeah. runs after money all these mm-hmm. think tanks they are like uh, uh, who is what sholi remember sholi to sapne dekhi hai ha mehbooba mehbooba helen is dancing so they uh-huh. are like like all, all all these think tanks are like helen's dancing before gabbar Mm-hmm. No, but do you think with India's changing economic might, uh, the more economically powerful India becomes, things might change? The answer is yes and no. Because look, America became very economically powerful after World War One, but it took mm-hmm. World War Two for it to emerge as a global superpower and for American narrative to dominate. There's a time lag. India will have to um, tell its story better. I mean, after all, look, what are all these religions? In a way, they are stories. Uh, uh, Islam told its story better, and therefore people converted. People saw hope in it. People saw salvation in it. People saw community in it. Uh, mm-hmm. In stratified societies, people could stand shoulder to shoulder and pray together. So I treat Islam as early socialism. And, and in fact, so is Christianity. Blessed are the poor. And yes, as always happens, once it became socialist, you know, the... Uh, if you read Candid, you know, the Grand Inquisitor also wants to abuse his power and 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 sleep with uh, Cunegonde. So the reality is everyone in power discovers they love money. And 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 the Samajwadi Party in India is not really Samajwadi Party. It is, it's a party where uh, Mulayam Singh Yadav and Akhilesh Yadav enjoy wine, women and song. Uh, it's behind closed doors, perhaps, not openly, but they have a fortune uh, so what happened uh, happens when socialism comes is is a different reality uh, the princelings of the communist uh, chinese communist party are a case in point uh, so uh, but the ideal was a very powerful ideal the story was a great idea as a story and so it's up to indians to tell their stories at one point zen zen comes from the word dhyan there's a lecture on Buddhism by Srinivas Reddy. You can listen to it on our YouTube channel, which you should subscribe, by the way. I'm making a plug for it right now because we need more subscribers to show up in search and we have a lot of good content, um, a lot of great content, actually. But the, going to the key point is, you, yes, you have money, but you've got to tell your story. Right now, who joins the Indian Foreign Service? You, Everyone writes the civil services exam. How many people? A million now? Uh, write it every year. Ten lakh, ten lakhs, probably. Ten so, lakh, we come here. Onge, zada log more. Okay, lot, huge numbers. Okay, guess what? Everyone wants the IAS because it's an open secret. If you're an IAS officer, you'll have a net worth of hundred crores. IAS officers are are, are the modern day months uh, of India. Uh, they are the elite of the elite. They have the wisdom to head everything. They will head the Central Board of Secondary Education, and their children will study in America. They won't study in CBSE schools. That's the hypocrisy of it. They will send their children to IB, International Baccalaureate. But they'll be in charge of CBSE. They will be mm-hmm. in charge of HRD. They will also be in charge of finance ministry, even though they may have studied English literature at Lady Sri Ram College. Mm-hmm. Or so on and so forth. It's, it's absurd. So what happens is everyone writes the civil services exam. There's only one prize, the IAS. Everything else is a consolation prize. So the chap who goes to the foreign service thinks, oh, if I had five more marks, I'd have been in the IAS. And the exam has no relevance to the job. Most of the IFS officers can't speak, are not good at picking up other languages, have their arranged marriages, 
only hang out with Indian Americans when in America or Indians in whichever country they are posted, cannot, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 tell to use words from Blackadder, this great British comedy, tell their ass from their elbow. Mm -hmm. And then you wonder, hang on a minute, why do we, why can't India present its point of view? And of course, the foreign minister speaks well, and you know he's won a lot of kudos. He does stand his ground, but think he of it this way: there's no machinery behind him. Doordarshan gets a thousand three hundred crores a year. It's money down the drain. You know, Doordar DD International is useless. Al Jazeera, brilliant or shop. Lots of British people work there. They hired the best talent. They know what to do. BBC, of course, goes without saying. They are in every language. They open in four languages. Telugu, Gujarati. Hindi mein bhi hai. Hindi mein to arse se hai. They've been in Hindi forever. I mean, Mark Tully speaks to my mother in Hindi. Something that uh, Pranav Roy would never do. <laughs> so, so the reality is that the reality is that... Um, Yes, you have money that is necessary, but not sufficient. The discourse mm. will change when you tell your story. And once you did, Angkor Wat is in Cambodia. Borobudur is in Indonesia. The Thai National Ballet performs the Ramayana. Of course, Hanuman, and I have a Hindi video on my own personal challenge that uh, channel that talks about the Ramayana. Uh, and uh, the Thai Hanuman is a bit of a ladies' man. He arrives in Ashok Vatika and forgets that he's there to rescue Sita, and he gets distracted by the lovely uh, uh, Lissam lasses there. But you know, it's a different version to ours. But it is our story. So y y the biggest, uh, the big um, Bami and Buddhas were a product of Indian civilization. So you've got to tell your story in convincingly, and and the atmosphere is ripe. I'll give you a classic example. Everyone is doing yoga at MIT. All, half my friends, physicists, mathematicians are doing meditating. The zeitgeist in the intellectual elite is already pro-India now, culturally. I mean, and guess what? We did the International Yoga Day. It was a complete waste of money. First of all, only Indians showed up. I mean, why isn't every beautiful girl who works on Capitol Hill there, and if she will be there, everyone else will be there. All right? Why, um, uh, you know, do you make these unending speeches and why do you have to show loud videos? India, the land of yada yada. I mean, chill out. People have come for yoga for a relaxing time. The ambassador grabs the mic and cannot let go. He's eating it as if it's a banana. I could be ruder, but I don't want to use that language here. But the point is that here you have a complete waste of time and energy and money. On, and the squandering of a great idea. This could be a great um, occasion to you build soft power. Every yoga studio should be there. You can ask some uh, you know, famous uh, yoga lady to conduct a beginner's class. From Hollywood, she'd come, she'd fly over. Oh, what a great honor. But our diplomats do not understand basics. I've lived in Washington for over 10 years. First of all, they shouldn't be in the diplomacy. They, the exam recruit puts square pegs and round holes. They don't have the personality to be diplomats. Second of all, they don't have any interest to be diplomats. They are living a life of regret. They wanted to be in the IAS. They didn't get it. So... 
India's institutions are broken. Mm. And culturally, we don't care. Deep down, it's our fault. We whine and whine and whine. Look, Indian Americans are now the highest paid uh, ethnic minority or one of the highest paid or highest earning. Uh, you know, the per capita income is, is better than others. You can't play the victim card. Get over it. You want, you want to tell your story? All right. Write editorials. Fair Observer is open, but I'll tell you when we get editorials from Indians, they're emotional, poor sentence formulation. They don't hyperlink. They don't do their work. They're not interested in telling their story. Indians may whine, but they don't really put in the work here. They are too busy in their day-to-day -day jobs, moving up the corporate ladder, getting their kids into, say, Thomas Jefferson High School. And that's their focus. So if that's the focus, don't complain. Hmm. Okay, this question is very good. And I think this is Indian perspective very important that yeah, it's on nationalism. And and I'll explain why. Mm. Again, it is directly linked to the coverage of India. See, I, I don't know if you remember this famous interview of Modi ji where he said, I am a Hindu and I am a nationalist and I see nothing wrong in it. If I don't know if you remember. No, I Modi do remember. Ji... I, I didn't like the defensive. Indians are too defensive. Even that there's nothing wrong. Why do you even have to use that line? Yeah. That shows so, the defensiveness. Prashna, we the always say, oh, is... there's nothing wrong. I... So Modi ji ne ye kaha tha. Modi ji ne ye kaha tha. So, but the thing is, when Western media cover karti hai na, to mujhe bhoot hasi aati hai, actually. Matlab, Hindu nationalist government is in power. Hindu fascist is the term. They also use Hindu nationalist. Many times they've used the word Hindu nationalist. Now, every time they use the word Hindu nationalist, the Indian must be looking at the paper and is like, ye iski gali hai? <laughs> no, but here's, this, but here's the thing. This is where we have to look at the world from another prism. So why do Westerners, why do Westerners think nationalism means far right? So this is where the, and I don't want to offend anyone. So all no, the no, please listeners, offend. <laughs> I think, again, it goes back to the Indian insularity. Why did and I, I and I have a great sense of shame. I'll be on, I'll be honest to admit that that as a Rajput, we lost our battles and in a way facilitated the takeover of India the way it happened. If we had fought well, Nalanda wouldn't have burnt. Let's be honest. Now that happened a long time ago, but we repeated our mistakes again and again and again. And we are still repeating them. We are too insular. I think the great bane of India, part of the great, uh, the great uh, uh, weaknesses of Indian society is that intra-caste marriage. Imagine a diplomat who gets through the civil services exam, comes from, you know, whatever community. He marries within the caste. He doesn't even know another region, another caste. How will he engage with another culture? So you've got to put yourself in the shoes of another. What they are doing is, it's not galits. This is, again, a wrong way to look at it. They are giving you a term. And the term is Hindutva, Hinduization. Hinduization means that there is no space for other people. That is what that term means. Hinduization means that minorities are oppressed. Muslims are being pushed. She quotes some Muslim uh, chap who is in... All India Institute of Medical Sciences, who says there's no space, he's afraid to display his religion. 
what it what it uh, what it uh, connotes is that a form of final solution is being planned that it's most sinister remember all this talk about uh, uh, citizen citizenship and amendment act and internship camps and there'd be concentration camps for muslims so the narrative is that hinduization or hindutva is fundamentally inspired by nazi ideas of racial purity and ethnic homogeneity which is impossible in india i mean impossible first of all but that's beside the point and just as nazism became a bad word so has hindu hindutva it's 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 basically a worse word than islamism in many circles so what they've done very very cleverly is is um, is tardu in fact the very word hindu is of arab origin i don't use it ever i never use it why will i define myself with the word created by an invader who said oh those who live west of indus al hind are hindu right sindhu was the river i am a ganga kinare wala hu hai i am from the gangetic faiths and we have both uh, an austere tradition like jainism we have materialism like the charvak atheist tradition we also have uh, uh, you know the um, tradition of the senses we are also a land of kama sutra my grandmother is a chandel they built the khajuraho temples i'm very proud of that long before uh, hollywood was selling oh, uh, you know tales of sensuousness and the french had the monopoly on sexiness it was us so you know we are a plural culture we are a multicultural culture no two people in the same family may worship the same gods the stories are beautiful i always say look at ganesh the story of ganesh why is it important well who creates ganesh parvati she breathes life into it so it is not just a male god with a white beard on as in sistine chapel who's the source of life think of it it's a very powerful story it's the power of parvati coming who's the daughter of the himalayas parvat of course shiv comes accidentally chops his head off parvati loses it what did you do shiv sends you know his ganas and they find a baby elephant bring back the baby elephant and he has the head of an elephant and of course then he bites a laddu and breaks his tooth and of course the story of the mouse who becomes his uh, they you know uh, he the elephant rides the mouse but the story is magical because even the god of good beginnings i write om ganeshaya namah even the god of good beginnings began by losing his life began uh, life with an utter disaster and he's fallible he's greedy he breaks his teeth but he's imaginative he is the god of writing he's the god of wisdom he's the god of judgment and so for me the story of ganesh ties me to the environment the elephant and the mouse are as much a part of me as or as part of, as much a part of nature as i am i'm not superior it's very similar to the native american faiths and i'm very proudly pagan i prefer the pagan faiths to the hebraic ideologies and religions i do so for me these myths are profound magical wonderful they are part of my identity now does that mean that i buy into the 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 
the corruption of the um, of let's say the Sankat Motion Temple in my ancestral town, where the Mahant is the son of the Mahant and his father was the Mahant, and he's basically a fat fellow who takes bribes and steals the temple's money? Of course not. I would be the first to say we have to reform our temples. It shouldn't just be a monopoly of the Brahmins. It shouldn't pass from father to son. By the way, which was a British idea, because they were trying to create, uh, you know, uh, a, a patronage network. So the Rajputs they backed were the ones, and the ruling families they backed were the ones who betrayed them in, uh, sorry, who betrayed their own people in 1857. My family was on the rebel side. There is no land that I have inherited. We were on the losing side of history, but Sindhya knifed Rani Lakshmi Bai in the back. Does he have his palace? Yes. All the princes of Rajasthan, why do they have their palaces? Because I always say, Gaddar ki karte hain aur hum unko jo karte hain unke We never had our French Revolution that we chopped off heads on guillotines. So we have a comprador elite, both amongst the aristocracy and the priesthood. And we have to change that. We, 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 we've, got to, we've got to change that. But we have to do it ourselves. My point is that this is what I'm getting at. The word Hinduization is given a very pejorative meaning so that you look down on yourself or you react in a thin-skinned way. You've got to look at it. What is the broader, what is the broader image being drawn? And if you are tarred uh, as a Hindu power, then it hurts your geopolitics. It hurts your foreign policy. Look at how, how the BJP had to kick out its sp spokesperson. And... This means that you have less global influence and people take you less seriously. Narratives matter. In fact, Vikram Sood's book is all about narratives. You can interview him, Kushal, next time. He's a very dear friend and he, he's a co-author. We've written a lot of stuff together. In fact, we wrote a big piece of over 13,000 plus words on India-China tensions. Mm -hmm. There's so another piece is... I've written on Kashmir, which sets the facts right. So this is an important question because I think yeah. uh, it matters more to you. So someone has asked, how can the expat community help in changing some of these things? It's a good question. See, you are also part now technically of the expat community living over here. I am strange. So, I divide time between different countries. So I'm a strange beast. Yeah, so, but so I think this is a very important question. Uh, somebody has asked. So I'll tell you very bluntly, uh, you know, um, Educate your kids at a broader philosophical level. Educate your kids. Make sure they learn uh, classical languages. Make sure they read world history. Indians are too narrowly trained. So that's at a broader philosophical level. At a practical level, a more immediate level, back people who are making the difference. So I'll give you a simple example. I've not had any backing from um, the Indian embassy at all. Or, you? or for that matter, uh, frankly... Uh, uh, many Indian Americans. So read us, back us, write for us, intern with us. It, you know, some of you will not have money. Just like our social media page, like subscribe to our YouTube channel. Then our content shows up on in search. So, you know, at a practical note, you've got to support the journalists and the institutions, not just us. I mean, Kushal is a great example. He's doing great work, phenomenal work. And, and I like his intellectually open approach so back the people you like forget about the new york times forget about basharat peer he is going to lead a good life he went to colombia he's making good money well done 
but don't get upset if the New York Times writes bad things about you. Don't get upset. The Atlantic is backed by Steve Jobs' widow. They are fundamentally left-leaning. So they will do good work on America, but on India, they will be whatever they are forever. You can't change that. And they will have to hire Anglicized Indians. And most Anglicized Indians are, given our history, they are people with the coconut complex or the Macaulay complex. They're, you know, they're, they're always going to, uh, you know, have an even worse view of India than someone like Sir Mark Tully. I would much rather have a discussion with Sir Mark Tully than with uh, a real Englishman than with someone who pretends to be an Englishman, Rajdeep Sardesai, for instance. One of the biggest reasons I stopped watching Hindi cinema is when it became Bollywood. Because just, exactly. Now let's go back to that point. Just look at Amir Khan and Shah Rukh Khan. Do they speak Urdu well? Chodha bolta hai. Shah Rukh. Chodha bhi nahi bol sakta. Gana hai na Chaudhavi ka chand ho. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't even speak Urdu well, the chap, and he is the superstar. So yeah, he, he's a very, I'm told he's a very charming fellow. But the point is that they don't even have pride in their own language. Hmm. All right. So we're almost uh, uh, about yeah, to finish. Yeah. So, But before we wrap things up, uh, Atul, so how does one... Because I think it's only fair that I ask you this question. So how does one uh, A, access the content of the Fair Observer and what are the ways they can support the Fair Observer? Well, thank you uh, for asking this question and being such a great supporter. So number one, go to fairobserver.com. You can view it on your browser. Number two, you can download the app. Number three, you can follow us on social media which is Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. LinkedIn uh, will get become more important, I suppose. YouTube, Instagram, all right? Um, you can also subscribe and follow our podcasts. You'll find Fair Observer podcasts and the dialectic. Obviously, as, as, uh, as uh, Kushal has shown, you can make a donation. You can become a member annual or, or uh, monthly. Even I, I would say, don't just make a donation. First, read us and sign up for the newsletter. First, follow us. And then if you th- think our work is good enough, then back us. Um, and yes, you can intern with us. You can volunteer for us. Uh, remember, many of you work for big companies and they double donations. So instead of donating via, via uh, our website, you can go to your own company. Google will donate will double whatever you give. So if you give a dollar, Google will double it. Sometimes they, you know, on some days they'll triple it too. So there are a whole range of things. And if you have things to say, write, speak, uh, you know, join the discourse. Because I don't think I alone can change the discourse. We will need a whole group. Uh, we will really need, uh, need the equivalent of a sangh. And I mean the original Buddhist sangh. I don't mean the... Rashtriya Swam Sevak Sangh. I mean, the original Buddham Sharanam Gachami, Dhammam Sharanam Gachami, or Dharmam Sharanam Gachami, Sangham Sharanam Gachami. Because first you become conscious. 
then you start doing the right thing. And then you form a community. And we need a community. We are a community-based, community-funded, community-supported, community-written. You know, all the authors, whether it is the young lad in Gaza or the young girl we published who's just 15 on India buying Russian oil, or it is the retired Irish Prime Minister John Bruton, or it is Ishtiaq Ahmed, the great Pakistani um, uh, social scientist who's written three great books on Pakistan, The Garrison State, Punjab's Partition, and Jinnah. He lives in Sweden. He's a professor emeritus there. All of these people uh, have made fair observer what it is because I will never know Pakistan as well as he does. I will never know Punjab's partition as well as he does. And so the idea is we bring people with great ideas and great insights onto our platform and we establish that credibility precisely at a time when the Atlantic or the Economist are losing theirs when it comes to the emerging economy. Yes, we are rising economically. This is our moment. Let's grab it. Perfect. Well, uh, guys, uh, so you heard Atul. So before we wrap things up, first of all, Atul, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, 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 you know, it Washington and hopefully this will not be the last time we speak. We'll be speaking regularly now on the podcast. And uh, and once again, thanks for coming over here on the Charvak podcast to speak with me. Thank you. And I look forward to coming uh, uh, again and many times. If nothing else, my relatives will be pleased with me. You know, I, you know, I, I I, 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 ha, I have done things which which doesn't please many members in my family. I never married. Uh, I, I, you know, I, 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 I have been a bit of a bad boy. In fact, I was in Kashi and I was giving, meeting. Um, and this is where I always say I find uh, stereotypes are often, you know, incomplete, um, if not untrue. And I was in Kashi in, in Swami Sampurnananda Sanskrit Mahavidyalaya. My mother spacked me off there. And so... One old Panditji says, uh, tapasya karte hain aap, I started laughing. I said, Panditji, tapasya to karta hoon, par kya karun? Vishwamitra hoon. Lambi taange wali, sunhere balo wali, apsaraon ka prakob chaya rehta hai. And he laughed. And so, basically, uh, you know, those of you who don't know Hindi, uh, you know, he said, you, you, you do tapasya, you do a lot of, you know, you meditate a lot and focus. Uh, like a laser and all that. I said, yes, yes, but what can I do? I'm a Vishwamitra, right? Vishwamitra was a prince who turned into a sage. So I'm a Rajput trying to be a Brahmin. Huh? So I said, but you know, what can I do? You know, whenever there's a tall, leggy blonde who passes by, my concentration goes out of the window. I am I, still struggling with that element of my life. So, so my relatives don't take a kindly view to that uh, and uh, to many other things I do. So so this, if if nothing else, my appearing on the Charvak show will legitimize me in their eyes. Ah, so good. Chalo, kisi ko to Charvak podcast pasand hai to meri bhi ek 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 life ki kuch to achievement ho gayi. Anyways, guys, before we wrap things up, in the description of the podcast, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're going to be listening to to this on Spotify, iTunes, wherever the audio portals, in the description of the podcast, you will see a link to the Fair Observer Twitter handle. You will see the link to uh, Atul's Twitter handle. So you can go follow both the Fair Observer and Atul on Twitter. Please go and follow them over there. Also, I'm, all, uh, I'm also on Ku. Let me give a shout out to Ku, our own okay. social media platform. Ku pe bhi ja sakte hain. Ja sakte hain. 
Also, there will be a link to the Fair Observer website. Like Atul explained, you can support them. There are different ways to support them monetarily. You can also subscribe to the newsletter and you can go on that. You can download the app. There are different ways. I have left the link to all of Atul's articles also there in the description of the podcast. So please visit fairobserver.com. As far as I'm concerned, you know the drill. You can subscribe to the Charvak Podcast YouTube channel or you can go on Spotify, iTunes, leave a review over there and become a regular listener over there. Or Stitcher, you can also support the podcast monetarily by becoming a member on YouTube or a member on Patreon or by buying the podcast merch on kushalmera.com or Kadak Merch or sending your donations through UPI. I will see you guys next time. Until then, namaskar, take care, bye-bye.